Hello, everyone. Welcome to Notorious SHE, a podcast where women in STEM share their experiences and expertise with the next generation of women in STEM. I'm your host, Gabby Hall. On today's episode, we will be joined with Dr. Margaret Dominguez of NASA. Before she joins us, it's time for our lightning lesson. On today's lightning lesson, we will be discussing engineering and optics. What is engineering? Engineering is the branch of science and technology concerned with the design, building, and use of engines, machines, and structures. There are many different types of engineering, such as mechanical, aerospace, computer, biomedical, and many more. Our guest today is an optics engineer. So what is optics? Optics is the scientific study of sight and the behavior of light or the properties of transmission and deflection of other forms of radiation. It's used for cameras, light bulbs, barcode scanners, surgical machines, and many other things. Optical engineering is the field of science and engineering encompassing the physical phenomena and technologies associated with the generation, transmission, manipulation, detection, and utilization of light. Optics is a growing field with lots of career options. Like Dr. Dominguez, you could be an optics engineer for NASA, or you could be an applications engineer, a business development manager, a camera design researcher, an electrical engineer. There are many opportunities in optics and the field is growing every day. That concludes our lightning lesson. Now we will be joined by Dr. Dominguez of NASA. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Dominguez. Uh, Do you wanna tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do? Sure, thank you so much for having me, Gabby. I appreciate the opportunity. So um, I'm an optical engineer at NASA Goddard, which is one of the 10 different NASA centers that exist throughout the country. So normally we think of NASA as just sort of like one whole institution, but we're actually spread out through different states. Um, The center where I work in Maryland, which is called Goddard, we're about 10,000 people that are working at that location, so pretty sizable. Of course, during the pandemic, we're at a reduced capacity, so we're currently at about 20 to 25% capacity. And I've had to go in quite a bit because I'm working on um, a component of a flight telescope that we're gonna send into space in a few years. So I physically have to be in, t- in the lab building the optical system to be able to, um, to deliver it to one of our contracting partners that it essentially assembles it to something else that's something bigger. And then, you know, in like five years from now, we'll be able to to launch it into space. So it's it's very exciting. And the days that I get like overwhelmed, you know, checking email or having a discussion with a colleague, I sort of have to remind myself and take a step back and see like, gosh, this is really cool. I am building something, you know, that I'm touching of course, never with my bare hands, but with gloves and double gloves, um, you know, that we're going to send into space. So like, this is a really awesome opportunity. So it's really exciting to be able to do that and to be able to contribute a little bit um, towards that. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Could you tell the listeners a little bit about what the space telescopes are for, what they do? Absolutely. So they help us um, enhance our understanding of the evolving universe. So we know that we have um, sent multiple telescopes and satellites out into space, you know, throughout many decades that we've had. NASA is over 60 years old, so there's been a lot of stuff that we've put out in space. Um, Some missions have been more successful than others. but we send different missions with different focuses and always with the idea of complementing each other. So a very famous space telescope is Hubble. 
Hubble is over 30 years old. A lot of people know Hubble because it, it really uh, broke our, our understanding of how we thought the universe was evolving. So that was amazing. And then it also, you know, for those people that don't really care about that, it just took really beautiful pictures of galaxies and star formations. You know, people can put up the posters in their rooms and things like that. So it's just a really um, significant scientific contribution to, to humanity. But also it's just been you know, a telescope that has been able to connect with people on, on so many levels. So that's really cool. It's it's already been out of space for over 30 years. So that means it's been orbiting out there way past its lifetime. Normally when we send telescopes to space, we expect them to last like five to 10 years, depending on, you know, what, what our goals are. Because it is only 300 miles away from our planet, we were and it's orbiting our planet. We were able to send four different servicing missions with astronauts to be able to swap out components um, to make it, so that we would be able to extend its lifetime. Um, the successor to Hubble is called James Webb, which we're getting ready to launch later this year. And I'm working to the, on the successor to James Webb. So NASA, we're always walking, working long, long term. And the telescope that I'm working on is called the Roman Space Telescope, Nancy Grace Roman Space Telescope, which I'm very excited because we, if you, as you can tell, Hubble, James Webb, Roman, those are names of people. We changed the name of the telescope so that it has a name of a person. And the Roman Space Telescope is the first telescope that we named after a female astronomer that worked at NASA. And we consider her the mother of Hubble. And I'm able to work on a telescope that for the first time, you know, is named after a female astronomer, which is amazing. That is so amazing. I had no idea. That's really, really cool. So how did you get into uh optical engineering and working at NASA. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey? So I never thought I'd be working at NASA. And, and when I was growing I was born and raised in Mexico. Um, and when I was growing up, you know, you see all these movies in Hollywood. And I remember one of the most like significant ones that stayed with me was Armageddon with, you know, uh, Bruce Willis. And, and I was like, that's amazing. You know, people can, and, and of course the, the movie is not very realistic, even though we have had missions that now have some components of what they are explaining in that movie uh, many decades later. But I remember watching the movie and thinking, this is something really cool. Never thinking that that would be something that I could be doing. Um, so I always really liked math and I had really good math teachers, which I think are really important for, you know, I, I have three sisters, I'm the oldest one, and none of them are really math lovers like I was. And I think, you know, part of that is that I had different math teachers than they did. And my math teachers were so passionate about math that that passion just always transfers. When you talk to somebody that's in love with what they're doing, you can tell and that's like sort of contagious. And I think I had these very contagious math loving teachers that really um, inspired me. So, um, so that helped me sort of have a passion for math. I was very lucky I was able to go to college. Very few people in Mexico go to college. And my parents were very supportive of financially and, and emotionally for me to go into physics because in the u.s only about five percent of the physics population in the u.s are female that number is much lower in mexico so it was very um odd for me to choose a field like this but my parents believed that even though it was very common i'd be able to have a lot of opportunities so that i'm very thankful and and blessed that they were able to support me and then I was um, I was always very involved in extracurricular activities, and I volunteered to organize a physics conference at my university in Mexico, where I was studying physics. And one of the speakers was a, a NASA astronomer, an astrophysicist, and I thought it was the coolest thing. His talk was amazing, and he 
asked me if I had ever thought applying to do an internship at NASA. And I remember like, no, I didn't occur to me. I grew up in a pig farm and I was born and raised there. And, you know, like I was really lucky that, that, um, I was able to pursue opportunities, but never thinking that that would be one of those opportunities. Um, so remember, I was talking to him and he had his schedule of the day planned for him. And he wrote in the tiny, like the, the bottom of the schedule, he's like, check out this website. And he ripped the piece of paper. And it was just this ugly looking piece of paper. And he's like, check out this website um, and apply. And that's how my journey started. Now I am here, oh my gosh, 13 years later telling you the story. Could you talk a little bit about what optical engineering is? So optics is a part of physics that studies light and the interaction of light with everything around it. And we would not be able to see anything if it wasn't for light, right? When, when a room is dark, we're just simply not able to see anything because we have wonderful optical systems as part of our bodies. So our eyes are wonderful optical systems that have detectors that only operate in the visible wavelength range. So we can only see what we call visible wavelength range. We know that other radiation exists like ultraviolet that can be damaging to our skin and infrared that can create heat. Um, but we know we can't see that type of radiation. So with optics, we mostly study the visible part of the light, but we we know how light behaves so we can manipulate it, which means we can use lenses and mirrors to be able to manipulate light. And that is how we build telescopes. We understand light, we can design telescopes and we can build them so that we can take pictures that'll help us understand our expanding universe. That's really cool. I feel like not a lot of people know about optical engineering when they think about engineering. It's usually mechanical engineering or even aerospace engineering, but it's never really going into things like optics. So it's really cool that you could talk a little bit about that. So for any listener who's interested in a career in optics, um, what do you feel like is the most important skills that they could have? So I think because optics, you can, and you can be an optical scientist, you can be an optical engineer. Um, so, and it depends what you want to do. Mostly for any engineer, you know, we have to be um, competent in math. I, I have some colleagues that don't, you know, absolutely love math and that's okay and i've talked to some people and they're like you know i can really see me building stuff but i really don't love math and that's okay you just need to be competent enough in math um you 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 need to be curious right develop a curiosity and be able to to explore a lot of the problems that we're solving in nasa are things that we don't anticipate right because it'd be really cool to like know what's coming and then you can prepare but part of the challenge is you know, something happens that we didn't anticipate and we have to be creative to be able to come up with a solution. And that requires us to like um, be be willing to study, you know, to be able to take that extra time to understand what's happening, be willing to talk to other people. So we have to be uh, constantly also working on these soft skills, so this communication to be able to reach out to other people that are experts in the field that can help us because you need to bring a lot of, especially in a place like NASA, a, a, a lot of um different disciplines together. So being able to 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 study, being being committed. Um, and nowadays you need to be good with computers, right? So we rely on, on computers heavily. So also not be intimidated by, by programming so that that can be part of how we um, analyze data. We, we collect so many images from space that we need the help of computers to be able to process all the images that we collect. 
So you were recruited for NASA uh, through this event that you hosted at your university. Uh, what is something that recruiters from NASA typically look for, if you happen to know that? So I've been able to uh, volunteer at various career fairs and recruitment events through NASA. So because NASA belongs to the, to the federal government, um, our hiring process is a little bit different than the private sector is. Um, so you have to go through USA Jobs to be able to apply to any opportunity at NASA. If you're interested specifically in looking only for internships, so it's not like a federal formal position, you can go to interns.nasa.gov and you can apply to positions there. You can apply to up to 15 different positions. It's completely free. You just need to upload your transcript and letters of recommendation. And um, we ask for, for a quick cover letter that explains, you know, why are you interested in doing this and what are your skills? And I've had students that apply that are completely honest and say, this sounds really cool, but I don't know anything about it and that's okay. And I've had students that apply that are familiar, very familiar with every part of what the project is going to be about. Um, so. You do need to have um, at least a, a three point um, a 3.0 GPA. So you you do need to be a good student. We expect our students you know to be responsible, um, and you need to be in good standing with your university. But really, we're looking for people that are passionate. You know, people that work in NASA are people that are really passionate for the work that we're doing. So as long as you know you're you're a good student and you're trying to continuously, you know, try to contribute and help explain the problems that we're seeing. Um, those are the people that we want. So how do you feel being a woman, especially a Hispanic woman in STEM has impacted your career? Um, I really think that what has been the most fundamental, the most important thing in my life is my passion for engineering. And I think it's really important. Um, I, I am, uh, without a doubt, a Hispanic female. Any any time I see you know anybody, my face looks very Mexican, and I'm very proud of that. Um, but when I'm at NASA, I don't want to be Margaret the Mexican. I want to be Margaret the engineer. So for me, it's really important that whenever I step into a meeting um, and whatever group activity, I am recognized for my skill as an engineer. So it's really important to that that I focus on being an engineer and being the best engineer, best optical engineer that I can be. And you know, of course, uh, all my heritage and the way that I dress and that I speak is undeniably there. Um, but I really um, choose to focus on, on really the core uh, reason of why I'm at NASA, which is, which is that I am an optical engineer and that, that I really love doing that which has, has led me to where I am. Now, I'm, I'm very heavily involved with the Hispanic uh, Committee at NASA Goddard, and we participate in lots of events, and it's really great to be able to talk to other people in, in Spanish on center and to do different events. Um, that's a nice supplement, but I really like to focus on, on doing my job, which is really exciting. Do you feel that NASA has a good um, diversity within uh, Goddard? Absolutely. They, they really um, emphasize um, diversity and inclusion. We actually just added inclusion as one of the um, sort of the, the motto of NASA. So we're constantly looking to recruit a diverse group of members that can really contribute to the mission. And as I mentioned before, you know, ultimately, we're doing really complicated things. Um, 
So we want really competent people and whatever the background may be, you know, it's, it's whatever it is, as long as we get really competent, you know, and we don't only need engineers, right? We need, you know, people that study finance and business and, um, and we need, um, other people that can help us you know we have a lot of administrative staff so we need people that go way beyond just science and engineering to help us be able to make the science and engineering a reality what does community mean to you i guess support um working together to uh to to one goal and i feel like um there's a big sense of community at nasa um our missions, you know, we're, we're focusing on expanding our, our um, understanding of, of our expanding universe. So, um, so we all need to be working together so that we can also meet the schedule and meet our, our deliverables within our allocated budget, right? Because we're also uh, part of the federal government and we have an allocated budget. So we know um, we, we try to always stay within that and we work really hard to be able to do that. There's always a political component, so sometimes things can be tricky. Um, but there is, has from, from the first time I stepped foot at NASA in 2008, I have always felt this feeling of community there. Have you had any impactful mentors? And if so, how do you feel that mentorship has helped shape your career? Mentors are so important. And I, I of course, I have mentors now, and I'm always talking to them. Um, but you never stop having mentors. That's what I keep learning that I have. I, you know, I know people that are, you know, in their 50s and 60s and they still sort of reach out to other people that they continue calling out their mentors. So I think that never stops. I can understand it can be intimidating a little bit, right? Because especially when you're younger and you're like, you know, I don't know anything. Like, how am I going to approach this person and what are they going to think? And that, that part is hard and it takes a little bit of telling yourself like it's okay and that's kind of the point of the mentorship that you get help for something that you don't know so that's why that's why you feel like you don't know it because you're not supposed to know it right you're supposed to get help i've had great mentors that are still my mentors that have different backgrounds and different ages and it's just somebody to be able to talk to and ask for advice um a lot of mentors are sort of like obvious people they're your leaders or your supervisors or you know something like that i've had mentees so people that i've mentored and that's also been really um productive and fruitful because they also uh, allow me to have a different um point of view but I think they're absolutely critical. And I know people spend a lot of time saying, oh, it's important to network and mentorship, um, but it really is important. So kind of a shift, what was it like for you moving from Mexico to the United States to you know, just pursue your career? I mean, it was a cultural shock, right? Even if you were living in the US and you were to move from one state to another, you'd feel mm -hmm. weird. People have slightly different accents. The food is going to be different. The weather's going to be different. I grew up in the southern part of Mexico, which is inland. So it was very desert-like weather. And then I moved to Maryland where you have seasons. So I actually got to see the fall and then you get winter. And I had never seen you know, snow growing up in Mexico, not where I'm from. There's some areas that do get snow, but not where I'm from. Um, and I grew up very much uh, separated from the city because I lived in this farm that was outside of town. So if we ever wanted to go anywhere, you know, we needed a vehicle to be able to get there. I couldn't walk out because we lived on the highway. So, um, so 
it was very different. My family was all in Mexico. I grew up speaking Spanish. So even here, I, I was actually talking to a friend earlier this week. We've been at NASA about the same amount of time. And when we started, when our friendship started, he would use a lot of slang and he would speak very fast. And I wouldn't be able to understand what he was saying half of the time. And he'd always make fun of me. And it was very, you know, friendly relationship where he'd explain things to me. And he's like, oh, this is what that means. Um, but, you know, you just don't realize how much um, slang is part of our conversation. So for people that don't learn English properly, um, you're just going to miss a lot of information. Um, so the food was different. The people were different. Um, and I was at NASA working all the time. So I was surrounded by all these people that were scientists, engineers, all being 50 years older than me. And I was always like, oh, my God, at any moment now, they're going to realize that I don't belong here. And they're going to be like, that girl, you know, why is she here? And it really was never that at all. People were always very welcoming. I remember my first summer there, people would be like, you know, if you need uh, somebody to drive you to get groceries. You know, we live nearby. We can help you out because I didn't have a car in Maryland. In this part of Maryland, it's very um, um, urban and you, uh, not as urban and you need um, a vehicle to be able to get around. So people were very, very welcoming, but it was a shock. And I still, I, I, I married a guy that was born and raised here. So I'm still learning things every day. Um, but um, it was definitely a shock. And, and my family still lives in Mexico. So um, we try to visit as often as we can. In like a place that's so politically charged, I feel like so much of NASA, you know, because it's a part of the US government is impacted by the politics. So when there's government shutdowns, as I understand, like NASA shuts down too. So right. how has that been for you just being in a place that's so dependent on the US government? Well, I, I, kept, I from the beginning, I didn't quite realize that. But maybe a couple of years in, um, that was an issue, especially with the latest shutdown that we had that lasted 35 days. It had never lasted any shutdown like that before in the history of the country. Um, so that was a little bit um, concerning that that, that that could happen. But I think one of the things that came out of it was that we were all desperately waiting to come back to work. So the feeling of camaraderie amongst me and my colleagues, we were like, when can we come back? Because this is going to affect, you know, our flow of events, our testing, our schedule, our deliverables. And that was really cool to be able to know that you're working with people where we all care about this so much that we're just like waiting where otherwise we can just like be hanging out. It's sort of like this vacation where we're going to go back when things open and you kind of just like be enjoying it. I think we all enjoyed it maybe for a day or two. And then we were like, can this be over? We really want to get back to be doing these things that we're doing. So that was actually really cool just so that we don't get bogged down with the political component. If you let yourself think about that too much, you know, it can stir all kinds of emotions. So I think I chose to think about, you know, how we all felt about it, which was let's just get back to work. That's great. Uh, so how do you see the future of optical engineering moving? I mean, the, the, it's only the beginning. I remember talking to John Mather. Uh, well, uh, John Mather is the no, uh, physics Nobel laureate from NASA Goddard. So he won, um, um, the Nobel laureate for a mission called COBE that we sent a couple decades ago to space. 
And so he's, he's our resident uh, laureate at Goddard and he's of course, amazing and super cool and brilliant. And he's always talking to people and whomever you, you know, whomever wants to talk to him, he's always willing to talk to anybody. So I've, I've gone out to him to ask for advice before. And, um, but somebody else, it was a, a younger student from high school and he didn't know, he was debating what kind of engineering to go into. And John Mather told him, that the future is in optics. So he stressed that, you know, out of all the possible engineering programs, he thinks that optics is a future. So I was like, ah, yes, I was able to, you know, to do that even before the Nobel laureate said that I should do that. Um, so I think there's so much future in optics. We are so lucky. We're such a small community, as you mentioned earlier, that we're really in high demand. So it's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's easier for us to find jobs in engineering in general. I think that's the trend as well. Um, but, but optical engineers, there's so few of us that it's much easier for us to, to find jobs and, and good paying jobs, which is also really important. And we all care about that, right? Like we love what, I, what we do, but we also need to pay the bills. So it's important to be able to have that. Um, and it's only the beginning. I mean, the, the way that technology is moving um, optical systems are everywhere. We have, you know, we have optical systems in our pockets all the time, right? We have a camera, um, you know, security, the way that that's implemented with all the cameras that you have now in your home and you have them on your fridge and then your washer, you know, all these devices are optical devices in your car. You have so many optical devices. So there were, there will be so many opportunities for optical engineers to develop new technology that, um, it's only the beginning, I think. That's great. I feel like there's a lot that's going to be coming out of optics in the future. I just like comes to mind. It's just like the rear view cameras on your cars. There's like it's everywhere. Every single camera. So before I let you go, uh, I have one final question, and that is, what advice do you want to leave our listeners with? There are so many opportunities out there, and I, I talk to a lot of people that, you know, we can get overwhelmed with a lot of the stuff that's happening around us, and it's important that we focus on what we want to do. There is always going to be people that tell us that we don't belong and there's going to be all kinds of opinions and those can be hard to hear and it can be hard to overcome. Um, but it's so unfortunate when people, you know, at the end we, we get to decide what we do. And um, even though it's challenging, you know, I, I encourage um, anybody who's listening, if they want to pursue, especially something like STEM, um, it will be hard and some people will tell you that you don't belong and there's going to be all kinds of nonsense that you hear. Um, but believe in yourself, which is really hard to do. It's not a trivial thing. Um, but believe in yourself and, you know, as soon as you keep pushing, you'll see that you'll find other people like you. Maybe not, you know, culturally like you, um, but other people that have that same passion that you do. And then you can start, you know, making connections and building a network because you will find common ground. So don't be discouraged. There will always be a reason to be discouraged. And it's up to us to be able to say, I believe in myself, even though other people don't. Um, so find the resources, um, you know, whatever they be financial or, um, or social to be able to, to support you and just be patient on the process. It's really, it's hard and it can take a long time, but that's okay. You know, patience and the patience is key to anything in life, right? So patience is important um, in this process and just continue to, to pursue your dreams. Sometimes they take a long time, but they can happen. Thank you so much for being here. It was such an honor talking to you.
Thank you, Gabby. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Check out the Notorious SHE website for links to resources relating to today's episode. Thanks again for joining us, everyone. As always, I'm Gabby Hall, and this is Notorious SHE.